It's the holiday season. No, not yet. We're not doing that yet. Welcome no. to Detroit Strange. Yeah. We were just talking about the, the holidays. I mean, we have to admit it, though. I mean, like, we're in the stretch. We were starting to get there, yeah. Yeah. Like, I can guarantee my mother is already listening to Christmas music. Oh, plenty of people are. Yeah. I can't. I'm not. I, like... I like I think I've mentioned this before. Like I don't love a lot of traditional music because like I've heard it so many times. Mm-hmm. So I always look for like weird and new ones. Like I think one of my favorite Christmas songs lately has been "All I Want for Christmas Is Nudes" by Trixie Mattel. Oh yeah, that song's great. Yeah, uh, it's on my list. I, I I do have a Christmas spot Spotify, Spotify. Nope, Spotify, Spotify list. Yeah. And that's definitely on it. Yeah, her other one off that album is good. Like Christmas isn't like. This Christmas is like Christmas without you, but not like the traditional version. I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got a country twangy vibe to it. Yeah, She's got a great voice. She does. Yeah. She actually put a new song today that I liked called Hello, Hello. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Do you see um, she has a Barbie doll? Yes. <laughs> I thought of you. Immediately. Yeah. I watched the video and like, I like for a split second, I'm like, do I want that? And I heard it was gonna be over a hundred dollars. I'm like, no, nope, oh, I'm not a doll person. So I, I thought about looking into it as a gift for you, and then I just forgot about it. But now I'm not going to because oh, it's a really expensive doll. Yeah, like they're talking about like it's like you have to put down like a thirty five or forty five dollar deposit to like pre order the doll because I guess uh-huh. they're only doing pre orders, so they know exactly mm-hmm. how many to make. I mean, I will say though, it's they're, it's not actually a Barbie. It's not through the it's Barbie Integrity company. Toys, which yeah. like so they do high quality shit, and like you know, in the video I was watching. They have been doing, like, LGBT icons since, like, okay. the 90s. Like, there's a RuPaul doll. They've done multiple RuPaul dolls. They've done Amanda Lepore. Ru doll? Yeah. Do you know who Amanda Lepore is? I have heard the name, but off the top of my head, no. Okay. Trans woman who was, like, in, like, the 90s club kid scene. Yes. Okay. That's why I've heard the name. And her face is just pumped. Like, she's got fillers and everything. She's got big old lips and her, like, just very, like, face pulled top like her face doesn't move kind of face but it's just okay. fabulous she mm-hmm. just has like this impossible like figure and face just because she's like had a lot of work done but she's okay. like her she's got a great personality too though she's like just very like nonchalant about everything mm-hmm. she's like i just woke up and i'm thinking about taking a nap <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah. i mean that sounds doll worthy to me yeah yeah do you have any dolls I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, like, at that point, too, they're more like a figurine. Yeah. You know, you're. it's a display item. Yeah. I like. I have Legos. I love Legos. I keep needing to grab them for my parents' house. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I need a little more interaction than the doll. I don't know if my imagination is just not up to, like, like, I need a little more. Because, like, a lot of times with, like, dolls or figurines, they just kind of sit there. And that's cool. Yeah, I will say I have I have display stuffed animals for the holiday. Yeah. But that's just because, like, I have them. Yeah. And their decorations. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I have any, like, tchotchke type things that I do, like, get. Like, you know, because I kind of consider, like, an action figure, doll figurine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You pro- Yeah, you definitely do, though. I think, like, lately, especially in the past year, has been, like, the Lego City Skyline things that I've got yeah, around. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I've got Paris, Tokyo, and New York. Yeah, I mean, they're all, cool. Or no, Paris, Tokyo, and London. I don't know New York. Yeah, yet. 
they're cool. Yeah, I think they're just they're just like kind of like a nice little like they're fun to build, and then like they like look kind of cool. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I was looking. They have like um the Aston Martin DB5 from the Bond <laughs> series. As a little Lego set. That one looks cool. And they also have a Mario one. It's like the question mark block that looks cool. Okay. Oh, I have something to share. Oh, yes. This is an update. Oh, yes. Give me that From update. last week. So remember we talked about the Eastland, Westland, Northland? Yes. Was there a Southland? We got confirmation via Instagram. Thank you to Kimberly Wilson. We stand. That, yes. There is a Southland Mall in booming downtown Taylor, the pride of Downriver. Thank you for the update, Kimberly. We appreciate the knowledge. Yeah. I was like, yes, I knew it. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we guessed it would be Downriver because that is South, technically. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard of it before. Too. I've heard people say it. I just, I don't know. I don't go to the mall that much. So. <laughs> yeah. It's been a minute. Since I've, well, not to lie. I went to Oakland Mall on Halloween. Oh, to get stuff for Halloween. Yeah. yeah. I don't know when I was in a mall last. Do you have a favorite mall? No. I think if I like had to pick a favorite mall, it would be 12 Oaks. Because mm-hmm. that's probably the one I'm most familiar with at this point. And they do have a pretty big selection. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling bougie, I'll go to Somerset. Because they have a Zara there, which mm-hmm. I like. Which Zara isn't anything like fancy. It's not. It's not on the fancy side of Somerset. Yes, yeah. Uh, the fancy side is weird it's, feeling. Yeah, the fancy side's like Tiffany's and like the, all the really high end stuff. And I'm like I couldn't possibly. Lululemon made it over the fancy side. I they did. I think so. Because last time I was there, it was on the normal side. Oh, I like, had to go. Then I made that something. up. No, I made that up. Then I could I see them moving was, to the though. fancy side, though. No, I mean I'm thinking years ago. I thought I saw them on the fancy oh, side. Maybe but they I'm moved recently. Maybe. I don't know. Recently, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. I go to the mall like maybe once a year for a specific task. My favorite mall is the internet. Yeah. Because I like shopping from the comfort of my computer or phone. Well, like when I was falling down that department store rabbit hole that Mm -hmm. led me to Hudson's last week, there's like the same channel I'll mention again, Bright Sun Films. It's it's a decent channel. They've Mm -hmm. got some like. It's if you're interested in like things like their series abandoned is pretty good and a lot I've of them are malls. A few of those. Yeah. You, you used one for, for another episode too. South, the Southwest Detroit Hospital was one of them. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then I kind of got into them after that. Yeah, there's some fun ones and like I feel like the person who does that channel, I think his name's Jake. He seems to have like two main loves. I feel like and it's malls and Disney. <laughs> Because I feel like a lot of the videos are about malls, Disney, and theme mm-hmm. parks in general. Okay. I mean, I get the theme park fascination. Yeah. Because they're weird. They really are. Like, and there's a lot of weird stories from them. Yeah. Especially Disney. Because, like, mm-hmm. a le- like, there's this one he has about, like, the Legendary Years Resort that they were, like, working on in the 2000s. And, like, the the 2000s happened. They're like, oh, I guess we don't need all of this. They have a lot of abandoned projects. Yeah. And they also have a lot of like secrets within their parks too, as far oh, as yeah. like access to certain areas. And oh yeah. You have to be this club member or know what door to knock on in this part of it or yeah. weird things. Yeah. 
something we were talking about this before we started recording, but Iceland put out a video and I retweeted it. Well, I tweeted it because I didn't bother to go to their Twitter and find it. I just tweeted the link myself. Yeah. But it was they put out a video about the Iceland verse just uh-huh. shitting on the metaverse because I have like realized I am fully against the metaverse. I like how you say that. Like, <laughs> like at first you're like, yeah, this sounds good. Wait, no. No, like the Iceland verse, sure, because they're just like making mm-hmm. fun of the metaverse, but no, no, but that's what I'm saying. You say it like we should accept them, or like most people are accepting the metaverse, and you're like, mm, but I did against it, but no, yeah. I, it's, it's the bonkers. most ridiculous, stupid looking thing ever. It's not that can't be healthy. No, I was watching Seth Meyer clips on YouTube today, and <laughs> the one from yesterday's news segment is like, I think it was like. There's 67 or 76 percent of like people who respond to this poll think that society or that Facebook is making society worse. I mean, yes, 100 percent. Yeah, I would be on that. I'm on the side of the majority on that one. And I think the metaverse is the result of people, some people in the world having too much money and having such a fucking disconnect from reality. Yeah. And not understanding what people actually want, which is human connection. Right. That's the reason social media like took off in the first place. Yeah. Is human connection. But then it also causes problems for it. So it's kind of a whole right. thing right there. And then also just like connection to the world. Yeah. Connection to the earth and the ground. And I don't care if this sounds, you know, a little in, eh, but like. No, I'm right there with you. I realize the importance that. of like connecting with nature and like being a part of nature. And like, I don't want to like. I like also tweeted a poll out today of like the metaverse, like we into it. Or do you think this is how the matrix starts? A hundred percent. The matrix. Yeah. If we're not already in it. Right. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, like, I mean, I think, but it's also interesting too. If you do take a look at a lot of things trending on social media trending. Yeah. That there is also kind of been this push of people doing things like living van life or yeah. park life or this or this or that and having these like creating these experiences for themselves to go and actually go to these places now it is weird that they then need to report on social media there's a whole yeah conversation involved in that not to say it's bad but it is kind of almost the antithesis of like going and doing it and I'm somebody who's done that so like yeah. I'm not this is not me shitting on it because I've done it but it's nice to see that they're, you know, that that is of importance to people. Because again, sure. we all need that connection. Yeah. We don't need to go into a sedentary state yeah. and pretend that we're doing stuff with people. Yeah. You could just go do stuff with people. Like, yeah. Like, had this been, like, the middle of lockdown where we couldn't see each other, sure. But, like, we can see people again and, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Even in the metaverse, like, I didn't love Zooming with people just because I do, like, you get burnt out so easily on that. Yeah. I mean, we we had Zooms with, you know, our friends a few times. And it was really good to see people, but it was also, like, tiring in a certain way, too. And, I mean, like, we'd all kind of come in and be like, Hi. Yeah. Because it's not the same. Not at all. It is a little different. It was better than nothing. Absolutely. 100%. But it also kind of was like, made you miss the real thing too a little bit more. Where you're like, 
oh, this sucks. It's nice to connect with people. For sure. I don't want to go into a VR. <laughs> no. Like VR for a video game for like an hour. Cool. Yeah. But like I'm not trying to like go live in this. Mm-hmm. And that's like this Iceland video hit a nail on the head. They're like. It was good. It was. I, I'll share it on our okay. social medias once this episode comes out. Because it, it it just hit. was a perfect parody of the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Or meta. And just better production too. Yeah. Like it just looks smoother and cleaner and sounded yeah. smoother and cleaner than. Also, I think like Facebook, like they're the whole rebranding as meta and stuff is they're just trying to like. Like, I think a lot of their shit's catching up with them. Oh, yeah. Of like how like damaging like Instagram is for like teens and stuff and just kind of. The misinformation spreading. And just yeah. like, I think that's all starting to catch up with them. So like, oh, we're meta now. And uh, look at these things we're doing. Uh. Well, I think also, too, like the way that Facebook specifically took on like such a large polarization between like people during the last like couple of years and where it's really kind of really separated people out, like you said, because of things like misinformation spreading yeah. and things like that. And I think that that's definitely catching up with them. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are like leaving platforms. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they're sitting in their little brainstorm room and they're like, oh no, our numbers are down or like whatever they're talking about. Right. This and this and that. And that affects their ads, which affects their revenue. Exactly. Yeah. And what, what can we do? Yeah. And they were like, I just watched Wally. Yeah. Let's do this. Right. And yeah, but it, no, it looks like the real commercial or, commercial spot whatever I don't know what you want to call it it looks honestly like if that was a sketch or a parody it looked like a low budget Black Mirror episode it does I can't believe it's real yeah it doesn't feel like it's a real thing it feels made up yeah except for it is Mark Zuckerberg you're like but that's really him except for when he becomes the weird cartoon version which doesn't help. It he made still me looks so like a creepy lizard guy. I don't get, and I'm not against like, you know, have a cartoon of yourself. That's yeah. fine on like a website or whatever. I don't care about that. But like, I don't know, just, it was weird looking and it creeped me out and I didn't love it. Oh yeah. It was definitely starting to get into uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know I think who's people, asking for this. No. And I think, well, I think again, disconnected people who don't understand the reality for most people. Yeah. But I think there is a big push of like social media is, you know, not the greatest for a lot of things. And so there is a lot of people who, you know, take breaks even or leave a platform or do this or do that because we all realize that like there's something that it's missing or something that it's um, we're trying to fill something and it's making it worse kind of a deal with social media a lot of the times. Right. Like, so oh, absolutely. There's some good things, too. So I'm not trying to like totally shit on it. But I think people realize that. And I think the majority of people are going to have pushback on things like that. And I think when it becomes too like invasive, Mm -hmm. I think the majority, I mean, I hope the majority of people don't really want it. And I mean, we've seen it before too. Even think about like Google glasses. Oh yeah. (laughs) Those failed miserably. Oh, absolutely. Because we were like, no, we already have a phone and I don't need my glasses to do all that stuff. And it's kind of creepy and I don't want it. They did pivot it towards like, enterprise things where like I could see 
an application of Google Glass, like where it has like an actual useful purpose and not like just mm-hmm. showing your fucking calendar. Mm-hmm. But like also like I couldn't think of one for me. I could see no. that being helpful for someone. No. And that's what I'm saying is like because they were marketing it to the general public like as oh, the next yeah. cell phone basically. Yeah. And Google swings big it. and misses big quite mm-hmm. often. Which is fine. I mean like they got the money to do that. But it, but there is a pattern of trying to release these like sci-fi-esque yeah. reality situations where it looks like it's from a freaking sci-fi movie. Yeah. But they're like, but we brought it to you in real life. We're all like, no, that's a sci-fi movie. I don't want it. Right. We're good with the phone. I'm, I don't want a smaller phone. I don't want, I just want this phone. Right. That's, I'm good with it. If you want to make the camera nicer, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> like everything else is great. Stop trying to mess with it. Right. And stop with the foldable phones. Oh, please don't do it. Yeah. I think we had rant about that already. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Well, now that we've shit on the metaverse, that's one thing I wanted to do today. Check mark. Done. Cross that off the list. Yes. Yeah. Well, and now that we've done that. Yeah. Would you like to go into the real verse? Yes. And hear a story? Yes. Good, because I've got several and what I'm calling a collage. Love it. Have you ever heard of a place called Hotel Yorba? The name sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. I think we'll get to why the name sounds familiar. Okay. And I hope there's somebody listening shouting right now Uh uh, as to why it sounds familiar. If so, slide into the DMs because I would just love to know that. Yes. But... We're, I'm going to give you a little lowdown and then we'll get to it pretty quickly. Okay. So it is located in Southwest Detroit in the Hubbard Farms neighborhood at 420 Lafayette. Okay. And through the years, this place has been many things. Mm-hmm. It's been a living quarters for workers who built the Ambassador Bridge. It's been a hotel many times. The Michigan Department of Corrections used it as a halfway house between 1983 and 2003. Okay. And it was even partially retirement housing for a while, mostly for older single men who appreciated the cafeteria and laundry services it provided and yeah. also used as subsidized, subsidized, subsidized housing. We did it. Yeah. It has also unfortunately been the scene for many crimes, including reports of suicide, rape, drug related crimes, and many more. Yeah. And it is probably at least in the hipster community most well-known for being the title and semi-location for the video of Hotel Yorba by the White Stripes. That's not it. I'm not, like, I don't, the only White Stripes song I could, I, I know two, Seven okay. Nation Army and Doorbell. Okay, that's fair. They're solid songs. Yes. Well, this, I don't dislike them, I just never seek them out. Well, that's fine. I, I will say, I mean, like, you were young when, like, most, not young, young, but, like. Wasn't into that scene yet. Yes, exactly. And that makes total sense. Yeah. And I wondered about that. But I did this anyway. Yeah. I was actually a little surprised when you said you've heard of this. So now I'm curious why you think you've heard of this, but maybe it'll come out in the rest of the story. We'll see. Yeah. But we are going to start with the white stripes because why not cover the white stripes on Detroit Strange? They do good stuff. Yeah. So in high school, Jack Gillis met Meg White at the Memphis Smoke. Did he take her last name? Mm -hmm. I love that. I know. I. Oh my gosh. Wait until we get to that part. Okay. Because you'll see. 
So she was working at this restaurant and he would go for open mic poetry nights. Uh-huh. The two became good friends and they started to hang out basically everywhere all the time. Uh-huh. At this time, Jack was playing the drums. And in 1994, he started his first professional drummer gig in the Detroit cow pony band, Goober and the Peas. Okay. Which shout out to my friend Beth because she was listening to them. Also, I've heard rumor that Goober and the Peas used to play at Planet Ant when it was a coffee house. I believe it. Yeah. And Jack and Meg dated for several years because they started dating eventually. Yeah. And they were married September 21st, 1996. Okay. Jack took Meg's last name, as mentioned, love which that. I also wrote, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I know. It'd be fun to be like a fly on the wall for that conversation. Oh, yeah. And just, I love it. In the 90s. Yeah. Oh, ahead of its time. Yeah. It's great. So shortly after their marriage, Goober and the Peas broke up. But he was still playing in other bands in the area. Mm-hmm. During this time, Meg learned to play the drums. Okay. And by learned, I mean she self-taught herself how to play the drums. Love that. Just one day, saw his set and was like, I'm going to do that. As Jack put it, according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. when she started to play drums with me, just on a lark, it felt liberating and refreshing. There was something in it that opened me up. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And bada bing, bada boom. The duo officially formed in 1997. Love it. And they adopted the name The White Stripes. This originated because, according to Jack, quote, Meg loves peppermints, and we were going to call ourselves the peppermints. But since our last name was White, we decided to call it The White Stripes. It revolved around this childish idea, the ideas kids have, because they are so much better than adult ideas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jack White took on the jobs of songwriter, vocals, guitar, piano, and mandolin. And Meg took on drums and vocals. Okay. Early on, they slid heavily into a very strong motif, mm-hmm. which is it's just it's really cool to think about that because mm-hmm. it wasn't just a band. It was a whole. Yeah. Art. To yeah. It, which is cool. This is the weird thing. And I remember this being so confusing. They pretended to be brother and sister. I remember that, too. Yes. And they also pretended to be the two youngest out of 10 yeah. siblings. And they claim that it all started on Bastille Day in 1997 when Meg went into the attic of their parents' house and began to plan Jack's drum kit. Whatever they need to do, I guess, to make their things. I did read, looking through stuff, that basically Jack indicated later that this was because when people are looking at something like a music group, a band. Yeah. And they see that it's a brother and sister. They're like, oh, it's a brother and sister. That's cool. Yeah. When they see that it is a romantic couple of some type. Yeah. They immediately look for the drama and they're not paying attention to the music anymore. They're really focused on the relationship between the people and not the actual art. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, really clever. Yeah. And like a little mystery. Yeah. Because I do remember everybody being like, wait, what? You know, and like. Yeah. And then there was rumors that they were married. And then there was rumors that they were like, there was all sorts of rumors, but yeah. Yeah. They also use the colors, the exclusive colors, black, white, and red only. I mean, my favorites, as you can tell from the room we're sitting in. Yeah. That's very well, actually. Yeah. And also the number, heavy use of the number three. Jack has the whole thing with the number three. I mean, it's a solid number. It's a good number. Yeah. Yeah. As mentioned in a previous episode of ours, too. Their first live, I think we mentioned this actually. Probably, yeah. You remember this a little bit? We'll see. I think it was your episode. Their first live performance was on August 14th, 1997 at the Gold Dollar 
in Detroit. Didn't we talk about the gold dollar in one episode? I don't know. We talked about the Grandy. I thought we talked about the gold dollar, too. We Maybe can. it was one of my episodes. <laughs> I, I have no say, idea at this point. Like, I remember we talked about the Masonic because I remember he paid the Masonic back taxes. Yes, which actually I don't even have in here. Well, now they have it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, their first performance was at the Gold Dollar. Okay. My memory is not the greatest. Mine either. So. And in 1998, they were approached by an independent garage punk label called Italy Records out of Detroit to record a single. At first, they declined because Jack thought it was going to be too expensive. But after realizing the man who approached them, Dave Buick, was offering to pay for it. Dave Buick. Mm-hmm. I wonder Buick if he's related. Yeah. Maybe. And then they were like, oh, you're paying for it. Okay, yeah, we can do Dope. that. Yeah. They released the single Let's Shake Hands and initially printing a thousand copies. Okay. This followed a year later in October of 1998 with the single Lafayette Blues. Okay. Which I do love when it's like nods to the city. You know oh, what I mean? Absolutely. Like when you see titles like that and you're like, oh, that's like, I know Lafayette. Yeah. Yeah. By 1999, they signed with California-based label Sympathy for the Record Industry. Okay. And by March of 99, they released another single called The Big Three Killed My Baby. Okay. Which was followed just three short months later with the debut of their self-titled album. Okay. So first, like, feature length. Jack would later say, quote, I still feel we've never topped our first album. It's the most raw, the most powerful, and the most Detroit-sounding record we've made. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like with a lot of artists, like, their first album is kind of like, it's their beginning. They, they put their all into it. Yeah, Not that you think yeah. they don't put their all into other ones, but just mm-hmm. once you find success and fame, it becomes a little less authentic because you're a little less. Not yeah, always. Yeah, but just I was going to say of, yes and no. And we'll get into a little bit of like what they use to record in different albums because it is actually pretty interesting because they went to some old school stuff. Okay. Instead of like the newer, you know, updated yeah. gear. Jack and Meg secretly divorced in March of 2000. Okay. They were scheduled to perform shortly after it, and Jack assumed the band was over due to the divorce. Yeah. And he actually asked two others to perform with him, including Dave Buick, actually. Okay. But the day where they were supposed to perform, Meg convinced Jack that the band should continue. I I respect the hell out of that. Yeah. I mean, if you can make it work, make it work. Yeah. And by June of 2000, Distill, their next album, was released. Mm. This album was self-recorded on an eight-track analog tape in Jack's living room. Okay. And the name was chosen very specifically. Have you heard the word distill? S-T-I-J-L? No. Okay. It's actually, it's a Dutch word and it means in style. And it was an art movement in the, I should have looked this up. Uh, It was an art movement. It was an art movement. I want to say in like the 50s or 60s, but I can't remember. Sure. But it was like, do you like Mondrian? Like the squares? Yeah, yeah. That's distill. That's a, I was saying Mondrian for a long time. (laughs) That's fine. Mondrian, Mondrian. Sure. Mondrian, Mondrian. I know who you're talking about. Yes. And well, that's, but that's distill. So it's like very deconstructed, very basic, a lot of like angular shapes. Yeah. But not complicated ones, blocks of color, you know, things like that. And that album cover, again, black, white, and red, but it also has like a lot of those kind of square and like deconstructed elements to it. So the album matched the, the, name to or the album cover matched the name of the album too I'm surprised I didn't catch that because like Yves Saint Laurent and uh, I can't remember but he did a collection I, mm-hmm. I think it was Yves Saint Laurent who did a collection of the Mondrian dress which 
thinking about it now, the YSL biopic is on the list of movies we have to watch okay. because I love it. Okay. He's such fair. a fascinating person. So the album would go on to reach 38 on Billboard's independent albums chart in 2002. So yeah, they did picking they up did a well. lot of steam. Yeah. yeah. They released their next full album, White Blood Cells, in July of 2001, uh, again, on Sympathy for the Record Industry label. Mm -hmm. It would go on to sell over 500,000 copies, much more than that by now, I'm sure, Yeah, but within a short amount of time. I mean, it's hard to gauge, like, music sales nowadays because nobody buys music anymore. It is weird to think about how there used to be, like, a billboards chart and things like that, and, like, we don't really, There still is a billboards. They still exist. Well, we don't pay attention. Yeah. Like, it used to be a big deal, and I'm sure it still matters. Yeah. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I've just changed too. So like, I'm not as in tune with it, but it just, it's different because now people like can self-produce and like get stuff out there more readily and easily. Like you don't necessarily need to be you like really on a record label. don't follow scenes anymore. Like you don't really follow a music scene. Cause like, I remember mm -hmm. I was kind of like, Oh, what's new in the alternative for a while? Or what's new electronica? Mm -hmm. But now there's just, Oh my gosh. I used to go to pitchfork oh, website yeah. every day. I like, oh. I just remember like, like having to search out any music. And now I feel like it just kind of like given me a platter. So I don't search it out anymore. I just listen to old music. I do that a lot too. Yeah. I did listen to White Stripes on the way here today, actually. Just I've had my doorbell in my head since uh, we I mentioned it. So <laughs> I will mention, though, that album brought us Fall in Love with a Girl. Okay. Very well-known song. And that video is legendary. It's, okay. the, it's a Lego thing. Fun. And it was made by Michelle Gondry, who is like a fantastic filmmaker. Okay. I In college, somebody I knew had this like Michelle... I think it's Michelle Gondry DVD. And it was just like, all yeah. Video, you know, videos he had uh, directed and they're all, and they were music videos and they're all just stunning yeah. music videos. And that one is a really cool video. So, the okay. Go music videos. They all do of some, them. Yeah. 1000%. Yes. They do a great job with their yeah. videos too. But we'll have to watch this one. Cause it's Legos. Okay. And I love Legos. I think you would like this video and yeah. it's black, white and red. So I'm already on board. Yeah. So 2001 is also the year that Jack founded the indie label Third Man Records. Okay. The Sorry motto again. of which, yeah, the motto of which is your turntable's not dead. Okay. So that's kind of fun. The first build, and we're going to take a little side journey there. The first building was originally purchased to just store gear and an idea of reissuing some early 45s possibly. Mm -hmm. And the first physical location, record store and venue and headquarters opened in Nashville of 2009. Mm -hmm. So that's when people could actually start going in. With the Detroit branch opening in 2015, which added a pressing plant in 2017, which is really cool. Have you been in there before? No. So it's interesting because that's all like black and yellow. Uh -huh. Everything with Third Man Records is black and yellow. Black but and yellow, black and yellow. If you walk to the back of the store, you can see there's like a big clear glass thing and you can see the pressing plant. That's cool. Yeah. And it's not like always pressing stuff. Yeah. But if you're lucky, you can kind of catch it. I think they might even do tours or something. I can't remember. Exactly. Weirdly, I'm picturing. Did you ever go to like a Rio Bravo, the Mexican restaurants? No. They used to have a tortilla machine. That oh. would like <laughs> press the tortillas. They like bake just like thing. that. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm just imagining that, but with records. Well, and the cool thing about the, their record pressing too is they re-release a lot of stuff. They've also done some comedy records. Like I know they've done some for like Conan and some other people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then like it's a wide variety. Yeah. Which is really cool. And they're all colored vinyl. I love that. I think they're all colored. There was many colored vinyl, if not all, but I think it's yeah. all colored vinyl. Here's the shaped vinyl where like it's like a star or a heart. I have. Yeah. 
they also like started experimenting with like glow in the dark final and like kind of upping like yeah. what can we do with this kind of stuff, which is cool. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And they actually, as of this year, opened a third location in Soho, London. Nice. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, 2021. Relevant. Yeah. Uh, but back to early, the early aughts again. Yeah. Uh, by 2002, they rose to be a staple of the garage rock revival scenes that they make sense. Yeah. Were well known. Which, side note, if anybody's looking for a documentary about the garage rock scene of Detroit, you should check out a movie called It Came From Detroit. We stand. There's some really great interviews with some really great bands. They meant, And there's like a lot of talk of everybody. I nerd out on it because uh-huh. it's like bands that I really liked back in the day and yeah. you know, things like that. And it's just, it's interesting. They I have a lot it. of good footage in, in yeah. there. I think you can watch it for like five bucks or something online. Yeah. So they quickly became well-known in both the U.S. and the U.K. due to their kind of like stripped down garage rock mixed with like blues aesthetic. Absolutely. Their next and fourth album, Elephant, was released in 2002, taking only two weeks to produce in London. Okay. It was self-produced by Jack again using a duct-taped eight-track tape machine. Love it. Wow. And pre-1960s recording gear. So again, really like kind of this like theme of like always trying to strip it down, strip it down, strip it down. Yeah. Even though like he was using an electric guitar at that time. Yeah. Just trying to really get to the roots of it. Yeah. And again, it was a hit reaching double platinum in Britain and single platinum in the U.S. And it would land Jack number 17 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Guitarists of All Time. Okay. And 390 on their 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Nice. Mm -hmm. So now... Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Was the first single off of that album and it just kind of killed it. Oh, when, absolutely. Yeah. That was a huge song. I remember yeah. it came out. Seven Nation One Army won a Grammy and then the album Elephant also won a Grammy that same okay. year. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. In 2005, Jack started to work at home on the next album using new techniques, including switching to an acoustic guitar uh-huh. on most of the tracks and switching from like more of a riff based approach to a rhythmic one with the guitar. Okay. So kind of, you know, you evolve, you change, you yeah, switching it up. Mm-hmm. The record would go on or the record would be called Get Behind Me, Satan. OK. And of course, it. it won the Grammy again for Best Alternative Music Album in 2006 and was rated Rolling Stone's third best album of the year. Nice. Mm-hmm. They released what would become their final album together, Icky Thump, in June of 2007. OK. It entered the UK charts at number one and number two on the Billboard 200. OK. Of course, it won a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. So I think we're at three years in a row they won. Or three albums in a row. Yeah. They then embarked on a full Canadian tour. They were going to hit every province, but it wasn't just any tour. Because they were going to some larger venues, but it included a lot of very secret, small performances. Love that. That wouldn't be released until like the day of or even like at the performance. In venues such as markets, bowling alleys. Youth theaters, bus depots, parks, a YMCA at one point, and like a flour mill, which I'm like, how does that work? I don't know how yeah. that works. And like a whole list of other things. After that, they then embarked on a short U.S. leg of the same tour. Jack's nephew would later go on to report. He His name is Ben Blackwell, and he is the band's archivist. Okay. And he would go on to report that before the last show... In South Haven, Mississippi, Meg approached Jack and told him, quote, this is the last White Stripe show. Okay. Mm-hmm. Damn. 
September 11th, 2007, they announced the cancellation of 18 tour dates due to Meg's struggles with acute anxiety, which, Fair. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you have to know your limitations. Take care of you. Yeah. And this was followed a few days later by the cancellation of the remainder of their 2007 UK tour dates. They decided to take a break mm-hmm. from 2007 until about 2011. Mm-hmm. And during this time, Jack focused on his other groups because by this point, he had formed the groups The Dead Weather and The Raconteurs. Oh, what's their big song? What's what I... I have White Stripes music in my head, so I can't, like, access other things. I'll look it up. Study as she goes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But despite the hiatus, they did perform once in 2009 on Late Night with Conan O'Brien singing an alternative version of We're Going to Be Friends. Okay. Which is kind of a bittersweet, like, last song to perform. Yeah. And that would be their final performance. Yeah. Jack was busy opening up the actual third man record store in Nashville around this time too. So like the actual mortar concrete, yeah. you know, situation, but the, the white strips still produced singles during this time, mostly covers for various things. Yeah. And in late 2010, they re-released their first three albums on third man records. Okay. Reprints. Makes sense. Despite that though, on February 2nd, 2011, they announced they would no longer be recording or performing as the white stripes. Okay. So they denied any artistic difference or health issues, stating that it was, quote, a myriad of reasons, mostly to preserve what is beautiful and special about the band. Respect, mm-hmm. because, like, I'm going to pull up this Batman quote, either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Mm-hmm. And I said it's true in media, where if you just keep making shit just to make shit, it's you're not... going to make shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like TV shows that go on for too oh. long versus ones that end at an appropriate time. B. Arthur knew Same it was thing. up. She was like, we're done with the Golden Girls. And they were like, no hotel, no hotel. Right. The, she was like, this Golden palace. palace. I'm like, I couldn't possibly. Yeah. What a weird spinoff, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Cheetah was in it, though. So that's. Yeah. That episode is wild. <laughs> but three years later, Jack would actually admit that it was more due to Meg's lack of enthusiasm in a Rolling Stones interview. You know, I get time. that, though. Like, they've been doing mm-hmm. it since, like, what, like, 98? Yeah, well, and I they met in 96. They started, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. I don't know them personally, obviously. Yeah. But they're both kind of re- reserved, somewhat yeah. shy people. And that does take a lot when you're an introvert to be putting yourself out there consistently. And I think they just had different wants and desires. Yeah. And I think Meg probably enjoyed it to a certain point. And it sounds like it just became unenjoyable. And then you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, then. absolutely. There's so nothing worse sense. than seeing a performer who doesn't mm-hmm. want to be doing it. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? I mean, like you can perform music at home and enjoy the music. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it doesn't have yeah. anything to do with that. So good on them for making the decisions they needed to make. Yeah. Before before it became bad. Right. So. Uh, altogether, they created six studio albums, two live albums, one EP, one concert film, one tour documentary, which did actually go up at Sundance. I forget what year. Mm. But now it's really hard to find because I don't think they liked it too much. Fair. But also 26 singles, 14 music videos, and their last three albums won the Grammy for Best Alternative Music. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. Their influences, just because a lot of times in their liner notes, they actually do give special thanks to their influences, which is really cool. I didn't want to list it per album. Yeah. Uh, and some of these are just ones they've noted elsewhere. But they include blues musicians, Sunhouse. Blind Willie McTell and Robert Johnson, garage rock bands like the Dories and the Sonics, Detroit proto-punk bands like MC5 and the Stooges, uh-huh. traditional country like Hank Williams and Loretta Lynn. 
stan i know rockabilly bands like flat duo jets wanda jackson gene vincent and surf rock like dick dale folk music is it lead belly or lead belly i've heard i've heard it but i don't know i couldn't tell well and uh also bob dylan huge influence meg is a huge bob dylan fan and also groups like the cramps the velvet underground acdc led zeppelin and la-based punk blues band the gun club can I tell you that I sometimes confuse Bob Dylan and Bob Marley in my head because I don't know like much about either one. Oh, they're very different. Oh, I I know they're very different, <laughs> but I know like next to nothing about either of them. So I'm like, which one? Okay, not that one. I can, I'll, I'll educate you. Fair. Okay. Yeah, I know more Bob Dylan songs, but I enjoy when somebody puts Bob Marley on. Yeah, he's like reggae, right? Yes. Okay. Oh, very, very. I know he's a, he's about the he's about the green stuff a lot. Let's get together and feel Oh way. yeah, yeah. And then just a side note, their instruments because this is cool would include things like a mandolin, Steinway piano, custom made red and white marimba. And while Meg never took a formal drum lesson, I it did note somewhere that her pre-show or warm up was whiskey and Red Bull. And I just love that. Wanted I, to include yeah. that. So the song itself. We're going to go back to Hotel Yorba now after that very long, windy journey. Yes. And it was recorded in May 2001 Okay, by Brendan Benson, who I also love, Brendan Benson. Okay. That's the one. You you probably have heard this one. I'm going to attempt to sing one line from it. Okay. Well, it's one, two, three, four. Take the elevator at the Hotel Yorba. I'll be glad to see you later. All they have inside is vacancy. Maybe. We're going to play it later. Okay. And again, that is from the album White Blood Cells. The video for the song actually fe- features exterior shots of the building. So uh-huh. you see Hotel Yorba has this like recognizable sign. Yeah. So those are in it. But they didn't get the permission to go inside to shoot. That's a bummer. The reason for using this specific place in the song, Jack cited that he heard as a child that the Beatles had stayed there. Uh-huh. But that was a rumor. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, but he loved it anyway. He knew no, it was for rumor, sure. Yeah. But he loved it anyway. It was like, we're going to do it about this. Yeah. Head. They did record the song inside the hotel, though. Okay. They didn't make the video inside the hotel because they didn't get shooting, you know, rights or permission for that. But they just like self recorded. Okay. And again, room 286. Okay. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. And since then, I will note that. There have been fans of the group that have gotten to try and stay there and the hotel hates it. Yeah. Like basically if you walk in there and saying it's. <sighs> it's probably like the same person who has like eight, eight whatever the how many two tones number is eight, six, seven, five, three or nine. Whoever is that phone number really hates having it. Yes and no, because I don't think they're that. It, I don't think the influx is that big. No, for sure. But I think the main thing is that it's just. That's not the vibe of that place at all. Oh, yeah. And so they're just kind of like, you don't get us here. So fuck off. It's kind of the vibe I get. We'll go into it a little bit towards the bottom. But it's just, it's not a welcoming environment from everything I've read. We'll say that. I'm not shocked by that. So about the hotel now, we're going to go into that a little bit more. It was built in 1926 at the cost of just under $200,000, so about $3 million today. Okay. It featured 300 rooms and a coffee shop. Okay. The hotel is still there today, but it's very, very hard to find information about the hotel. So again, it being a different vibe, it does not have a website. There is no way to access information about it 
very readily. There is like a Google listing for it because it's a building that exists, but yeah. there's not a ton out there. I kind of wonder like how they've made it without like, cause you know, like there's businesses in the city that really tried to like hang on that didn't. And this place is just like, we don't. Care. Well, it did function. Like I said, as a halfway house for 20 yeah, yeah. years where it was being the uh, Michigan department of corrections was actually like funding for yeah. those purposes. And I think it's one of those things too, where I'm sure the building's been paid off for like a yeah. million years. So it's not like a lot of overhead and they're not keeping it up. So like, there goes some of the money they needed. Yeah. yeah. And I will actually mention, I forgot to put this earlier, but the white stripes actually have been banned for life from the hotel, but they're not sure why. Probably just, <laughs> yeah, for bringing attention to it. Because it sounds like this place just like doesn't want to be known. Exactly. 100%. And then this is just a side note, too, because I could not find any information about this. But there, in 2004, one resident killed his coworker with a homemade sword that he made there. Cool. That's just a vibe set up not the killing but like the fact he made a homemade sword like yeah so now we're actually going to go to one specific thing that did happen there okay i know there's a lot of time travel today but we're going to go back to 1988 okay so about a decade before the white stripes this was the 23rd birthday of a woman named phyllis flynn from lincoln park michigan and she went on to form the band lincoln park i'm just kidding yes exactly how'd you know (laughs) she celebrated her birthday with her family. And then she asked her father to drop her off at hotel Yorba. She was planning on visiting a quote unquote boyfriend. Uh And we're going to put the quotes because it was kind of a loose situation, which is fine. And his name was Albert Jimenez. And he was staying there long term. Okay, There are many people staying there long term. Yeah. Makes sense. Six days later on May 13th, she called her dad to pick her up again. Six days later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah, hanging yeah. out. You do, you knew you. Yeah. When her father arrived, there were two men at the entrance of the hotel that told him that Phyllis wasn't there and wouldn't be there. Weird. Mm-hmm. This was not the first time Phyllis had disappeared before. Uh-huh. So at first, not too much was thought about it. Again, she's a 23-year-old woman. Yeah. She is an adult at this point. On the other hand of that side of that, though, she's also asking her father for rides. So like. Yeah. She should be in contact, but her disappearing for a little bit wasn't like a huge deal to them at first. Yeah. But after a few weeks, when she missed a going away party for her sister who was moving to Arizona. So like big move. Her family began to worry because she would have been there. That was very unlikely. Right. They started to make calls and drive around. And of course, they filed, tried to file a missing persons report. But the police department wouldn't take it. Ooh. Phyllis had a reputation. And the police wrote her off. Mm. So basically, it wasn't her parents and her family knowing that she disappeared a lot. She was kind of known for that, even by the police department. Yeah. I couldn't find too much information about the specificities of that. But also just like this whole idea of police not taking a missing persons report because of anything from somebody's history is just the dumbest. It's bullshit. Piece of bullshit ever. Yeah. Like it just. It really boils boils my 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 blood yeah a little bit where i'm like everybody if somebody's trying to report somebody missing you take that yeah so eventually though the family did convince the second precinct and they went to multiple precincts to try and report this yeah by the way Uh, eventually though they convinced the second precinct and a report was filed but the cops they didn't really do 
too much probably, but it's also unknown exactly how much they did because that's not necessarily, there's not necessarily good records. Yeah. Eventually, a friend of hers from Lincoln Park started, not the band, (laughs) started to look at her because they wouldn't come around until 1990 something. I don't know. And they started to look around and ask a lot of questions. And the problem is while the quote unquote boyfriend his name was known. So Albert Jimenez, we, yeah. know, we, we know that name because that's how he was registered yeah. at the hotel. No one knew what he looked like. So no one in her life had met him Oh, or really anything about him. They only, the only information they knew is that he lived in hotel Yorba for about two years. He checked in on June 23rd of 1987 and out on January 18th of 1989. Uh-huh. He was staying in room 360 and he might've been from Jamaica. Okay. Those are literally the only piece of information. The case never was hot, but it went very cold. That was a horrible way to write that, but that's what I... I mean, it makes sense to me. There's not too much more to report. However, 12 years later, summer of 2000, an old family friend discovered a homemade poster about Phyllis and picked up the search again. Okay. It would take her 10 years to locate Phyllis's family. And by 2012, people had and organizations actually started to pay attention again. Uh-huh. Several groups in the Michigan state police actually put some work into the case. Uh-huh. They created a profile of Phyllis on NamUs, which is national missing and unidentified person system. Okay. And they collected DNA samples from her siblings to add to those files. So there'd yeah. be something on record. Unfortunately though, the original report was missing. Of course. So no information could be found there. And soon after all of this, a woman named Sergeant Shannon, Jones from the missing persons and homicide unit at Detroit police department stepped in and picked up the case again. I am sad to report that not, there's not much other information. Yeah. Uh, I came across this story on a Reddit and really had to to dig for what there was, but also I don't know, like missing persons cases that didn't get the attention they should. Yeah. I always think it's worth mentioning because you never know. Yeah. Yeah in what way that things can go. And I think it's really beautiful that it was picked up later and then, yeah. you know, they finally gave a shit at some point. Yeah. I got some recognition that it should have received much, much earlier than 20 years earlier than it did. Yeah. But there is no case that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like right. when it comes to the stuff, there is no case that doesn't matter. And who knows? I mean, like in the late eighties, she was 23. Yeah. She could be in her fifties. Like, yeah. Now. Or just even being able to put a story to rest. Yeah. Just out of respect for somebody too. I do want to note a little bit though about the building again itself. As of 2019, the building was under contract for new ownership, which would be, I'm, I'm shocked that like, it's in a pretty okay location now. It's not downtown by any stretch, but it's not super, super far. I'm kind of surprised that Jack White hasn't like jumped at it. It went on the market in September 2018 for the price of 3.2 million. Okay. The sale though either was or is confidential. So there's no proof if it went through or fell through the okay. 2019 sale, okay. possible sale. So something could be happening and changing. Something might not be, but I do want to tell you for a real trip, read the Google reviews. I are, was just about to, I I'm was thinking about that. wondering if we should pull up a couple right now because they're good. <laughs> That's why. This place is not fit for a dog. Mm-hmm. The room had no bed, no shower, no toilet. It barely had a sink. 
But there's some good ones too, which is weird. Yeah. Oh, this one. I don't understand the negative reviews. My family and I stayed here during our vacation. Though the building is older, it was well-maintained. The service was second to none. The staff was very helpful with suggestions of interesting points of interest to visit. The rooms were very clean. And that one is from a month ago versus three months ago. I was bitten through the bed. The rat at the reception desk was very kind, though. The pillow was filled with hypodermic needles, but the eyeball stew was very tasty. Still wondering what the eyeballs were made of. From three months ago. Yeah, it is a really mixed bag. Nice place if you have an alcohol problem and a drug habit. From a year ago. Have bag bugs and the staff is rude, just want money, don't care about tenant at all. It is the perfect place to take your girl for your first night together. Took my wife there for a weekend on our honeymoon. I just saw that one. Oh, this one is this one is definitely like a parody of itself. Wonderful experience. The concierge had a wealth of knowledge. We spent most of our first time in the hot tub, sauna, and Olympic-sized swimming pool. The rooms were huge and spotless. Dinner in the dining room was fit for a king. If you're in the Detroit area and want to live like royalty, Hotel Yorba is a must. Lol, the Beatles used to kick it here. There's a lot of people threatening to call the health department and file a lawsuit. If you if you have held, called the health department or filed a lawsuit on Hotel Yorba, please let us know. Or I've just stayed there. I want to like I need I need a review from someone I know. Seriously, yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, the further back you go, I f- no, they're all over the place still. There was one review in here, but I think I had to go back far the other day, and it was talking about how like they were excited because of the song, and like they went there and they they got they said something or the people asked them like if they were white strips fans and then they couldn't stay there anymore. They got kicked out or something. Like what a fucking business model. Like how is this place? I don't know. I, it's such a mystery. Uh, and again, it was, it was hard to find information on it, which makes it even more like, yeah. what? <laughs> so yes, that is a clash centering around Hotel Yorba. I loved that. <laughs> Just so many twists and turns. And like, I did like learning more about the white stripes because like, I kind of forgot they're from here. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things. That I'm sure there's tons of information about the white stripes. Like, so I didn't want to just do like a, yeah, whatever. But I, I couldn't stop thinking about them because I was thinking about this hotel and I knew about like, it just yeah. kept like going on. And then I was like, I have to talk about the white stripes too then. Yeah. And it was actually, really fun to read about them. So oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I should state my sources really quick. Yes, speaking yes, about yes. reading charlieproject.org. They did stuff about Phyllis Ann Flynn, the missing woman. Yeah. A YouTube called my name is Phyllis Flynn from July, 2018 from the Michigan missing in Michigan profile. Lomography.com. An article called hotel Yorba, Detroit, Detroitcurb.com. The Hotel Yorba is more than just a white stripes jam. Wikipedia. Third Man Records, Metro Times article, the hotel made famous by the white stripes could soon be sold to new owners. Huh. Mm-hmm. And now I have white stripe songs in my head. Yep. <laughs> well, that was fabulous. Thanks. I also have white stripe songs stuck in my head now. Sorry, and you're welcome. Yeah. Um, are you ready for your two truths and a lie? I sure am. Minerva is circling. She does not understand daylight saving. She's like, when am I getting fed? Mm-hmm. Where this is one, that food? Oh, no, this would be feed time. Yeah. 
I told you, kitty cat, you gotta write the senator. <laughs> but your two truths and a lie is about superstitions. Okay. I literally was just like laying in bed last night and I was like, superstitions, that's what I'm doing it on. I'm into it. I figured you would be. Yeah. So this, of course, came from mental flaws. Love it. I was like trying to use this Google source, like their arts and culture thing. But like, I just, it was, it was testing my patience and it, it lost. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, mental floss. We love it. Yeah. So fact number one, Mm -hmm. in Sweden, it's considered bad luck to place keys on the table. Okay. Fact number two. In France, wearing a hat after dark brings bad luck. Okay. Ooh. Fact number three. Mm-hmm. The Pennsylvania Germans believed that changing your clothes or bathing between Christmas and New Year's was bad luck. Oh, God. They all sound like they could be a thing. Oh, no. I think they're all true. This is problematic for me. I'm going to go... With France. That is correct. That is the lie. Woo! So just the facts on the other ones. So number one is true. It's considered bad luck to leave your keys on the table because back in the day, that's how prostitutes would attract customers by leaving keys on a table in public areas. So they kind of just like, like it mainly just like became a superstitious because it was just like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to advertise for not trying to, you know, do that. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And then fact number three is true. And they said that even like the one about not change, not changing your clothes or bathing between Christmas and New Year's, and they even went as far as saying changing your underwear would cause you to be, quote, full of boils. And also on New Year's Day, if your first visitor was a woman, it was meant bad, like a, a year of bad luck. That's just rude. It really is. <laughs> I'll visit who I want. Right. Um, just a couple of honorable mentions from this list. Yeah. In some African cultures, owls are a sign of bad luck. Some even oh. think that they're sent to deliver curses. I love owls. Me too. In Ooh. Argentina, mixing watermelon and wine is thought to cause death. What in wine? Watermelon. Which, like, I don't know who would have thought to mix them in the first place. No, I'm not doing that. Right. Especially now that it causes death. Yeah. In some parts of the Middle East, it's bad luck to open and close scissors without anything in between, like kind of like opening an umbrella and doors. Okay. Just like playing with scissors, bad luck. Yeah. In the early 20th century America, there was a superstition that before you moved, you had to burn all your old dishcloths. And the reasoning behind it being that uh, you shouldn't bring all that bad luck you wiped up in your old house to the new one. I think that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in Serbia, it's bad luck to compliment a baby. You're supposed to say it's ugly instead, which I can get behind. <laughs> I can't wait for my sister to have a baby now. <laughs> You're so ugly. Yes. Look at you, uggo. Yes. In Turkey, it's bad luck to drink water that is reflecting moonlight, but it's okay to bathe in it. Oh. In Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. somewhere in the Soviet, former Soviet Union. Uh, spilled salt or pepper was thought to cause a fight and to cancel this out, you must put sugar on top of it until someone cleans it up. Hmm? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. All right. Uh, I've never heard pepper. I've heard the salt thing. I, I yeah. did find something about salt in a different article about how like 
apparently at the last supper Judas knocked over the salt and Dick. like yeah and so like the reason for throwing it over your shoulders you're throwing at the devil's eyes like fuck off devil okay yeah in Russia if you put your clothes on inside out it's inviting a beating oh god you can, that's drastic right but you can minimize the threat by turning your clothes right side out and having someone symbolically hit you and last one. In Greece, Tuesday the 13th is an unlucky day. Huh. Because it was a Tuesday the 13th in 1207 when Constantinople fell to the Crusaders. Okay. And Tuesdays in general are considered bad luck days because Constantinople fell again to the Ottomans in 1453 on a Tuesday. Oh, okay. I yeah. mean, that's fair. I get it. Yeah. I get that superstition. So that's the superstitious things mm -hmm. i titled that one very superstitious <laughs> mm -mm. Riding's on the mm -mm. wall do you have any superstitions do you follow any superstitions the one that comes to mind is if i'm going through a yellow light i kiss my hand touch the ceiling of my car okay. since high school okay you i am trying to think now i used to do the like hold my breath in the car while driving by a um cemetery yeah but then that stops when you hit a red light in the middle of a cemetery. Yeah. And other than that, I've always loved black cats. They're yep. cute. Yeah. I guess like as a kid, maybe I did avoid stepping on cracks. Yeah. I liked my mom. Didn't want to break her back. Didn't want to break her back. Yeah. It just seemed mean and like unnecessary to break right. her back. Yeah. Don't. Didn't have it's to rude. do it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't think so. So you're not very superstitious. <laughs> the writing's not, not on the wall. Because you're not very superstitious. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. There, it's invisible ink. Yeah. But I think that wraps us like a brand new vinyl 45. Oh, yeah. I'm not a record person. I don't know terms, but we'll we'll go with it. 45 is the littler ones. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I I am a record person. I love them. Although my record player is broken. So if anybody out there fixes record players, please contact me because yeah. I need it fixed. But yeah, I do believe we are wrapped like <laughs> a, a, a brand new vinyl 45. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just time to tell everybody that if they want to support the show, yeah. we'd love it. Reviews on Apple Podcasts, we got a Patreon, we got t yeah, all the things. You know the things. And then, the things. And if you want to follow us on our social media, even though we should on social media at the top of this episode. Yeah, doing really well here. Social media, it's just for promotion at this point. Because I'm not oh. posting anything real, really. So it's for, well, for me anyway, social media is just promotions now. I, I don't mind engaging with it, but I... I don't live my life by it. Fair. But our social media, Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address is DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. But I think... Until next time. Stay, stay strange. strange. I've been thinking about my doorbell. When are you gonna ring it? When are you gonna ring it? This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast. Powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence.